G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations, Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. We're in the very last verses of a masterful epistle. In today's program, we're going to learn a few very heartwarming truths as we continue and conclude 2 Corinthians. Our series is entitled Heartfelt and Inspired, Understanding 2 Corinthians, a verse-by-verse commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. In the last words of Paul here to the church at Corinth, a church that really did occupy a lot of his attention. After all, 1 Corinthians is a very long book, and it's dealing with real-life issues that have faced the church at that time and even faces the church today. 2 Corinthians is more Paul's response to the Corinthians' response to his first letter and to the correction that was needed. Fortunately, most of the people repented and submitted to Paul's leadership. This is important because Paul was utterly selfless in what he did. Everything was geared to the benefit of the church and, most importantly, to the glory of God. But still, there were antagonists. A small group probably gathered around a leader, a false apostle, and a lot of that was causing Paul to have to defend himself in 2 Corinthians, something that he rarely ever had to do. But in his defense, we get insight into the life of an apostle. And as we're going to see, it's not all glamour and glory. It's not only hard work, but in Paul's case, he had to put with up with exceptional opposition, hardship, suffering, things that would have destroyed a lesser person. And yet he just keeps on keeping on. I don't know what it is, but people that come from the Middle East, and particularly from the land of the Bible, can be very, very tough people. Not unlike the Jerusalem stone that graces the walls and the buildings of that city. What we're going to do is do a recap here of what the last verses say, and then in the extended program, we are going to look at these verses up close. But basically, this segment from 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 to 14, is Paul's farewell. And he's basically, when you say farewell, you're saying that from now on, may you do well, may your conditions, your well-being, your future be positive, bright, and blessed. That's what he's basically saying when he tells them farewell. Paul then continues on to say to greet one another with a holy kiss. And this is a very interesting verse because it's one of five verses in the New Testament uttered either by Paul or by Peter to greet in such a manner. Some would just relegate this to cultural and now all you need is a hearty handshake. But it is interesting 
that in certain circles, the holy kiss still applies and rarely, if ever, is abused. And then it talks about all the saints will greet you. Now, all the saints may mean all the saints in a particular area, or it may mean the whole church, and that Paul sets himself up to be as a spokesperson for the church at large, which he was entitled to do as the great apostle who made the rounds. Obviously, he didn't know all the churches personally because the Christian faith was growing faster than anything. Like a great Australian bushfire, it spread very, very quickly. But then he gives the triune benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And he uses the term koinonia, also pronounced koinonia. And remember this wonderful term, the communion or koinonia of the Holy Spirit. This means deep sharing and deep caring. When you're in such a community, you can face anything in the future and to do so with great confidence. All right, let's look at those verses. But first of all, let's read them in full, and then let's elaborate. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. All right, let's look at verse 11 here, which not only has a command, but superlative promises for those that keep the command. So he says, finally, brethren, farewell. You know, it's time to end the epistle, and Paul wishes that they the brothers, the brothers and sisters, I should say, at Corinth will do well, that they will have a brighter future, better well-being, more righteous conduct, more fruit to their account than they ever did before. Really, we need to believe that the latter days will be more honorable and glorious than the former days, that the later part of life is better than the earlier part, which it should be when you're in the Lord and you fare well. So this is, of course, the beginning. He then goes on to say, be perfect. Now, to be perfect doesn't mean to be utterly flawless. That is really not possible this side of heaven. But we are commanded to follow the Lord Jesus, who himself is perfect, understanding that the word perfect means complete, lacking in nothing, whole and complete, having everything that you need. And remember, to be perfect as we understand this word, and I believe we understand it correctly, is basically to team up with God. Because none of us has it all together. Even if we're mature, experienced, fruitful Christians, we're still a work in progress. Perfection is made possible when we team up with God. As we learned earlier in this very epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we don't think of ourselves as having anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. We become sufficient, we become complete when we are in God, rooted and grounded in Him, knowing that God will fill every pothole in our life. He will straighten every crooked way. He will smooth out every rough thing. That is the way we become perfect. We team up with God. We coalesce and blend with Him. He is living in us, and we 
are living in him. Christ in us, the hope of glory, meaning that we become, in essence, the temple of God, containing the presence of God. But we also live in him, knowing that in him we have every spiritual and material blessing under heaven that God has ordained for us. So, to be perfect means, really, to be a man or woman of God. He goes on to say, be of good comfort. And good comfort, he says, I would prefer this for you to be comforted than to be anxious. Now, the very beginning of this epistle of 2 Corinthians was about the God of all comfort. We thank the God of all comfort because he comforts us in all our afflictions with the very same comfort that we have received from God we now give out to others. So God comforts us. We are comforted. Out of the overflow of that comfort, we minister blessing to the world. So he's telling us at the beginning of the epistle about being the God of all comfort. Now he's telling us at the end of the epistle to be of good comfort. You know, the funny thing is, here's Paul on the back foot being defensive in one sense, but he's telling everyone else to be comforted. Because again, this shows the selfless nature of the apostle. It shows his spiritual maturity. Remember, immature people worry about themselves, focus on themselves. What about me? All about me. And this kind of thing. Friends, we've all been in that leaking boat, haven't we? And we need to get out and get on the great ocean liner of God. So to be of good comfort means to grow in God, mature in God, and the more of God's comfort you give out, the more of his comfort he will pour back into you. Then Paul goes on to tell the brethren, if they want to fare well, that they should be of one mind. Now, of one mind, again, we can hearken back to the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, as well as actually the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. That would be more appropriate, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Corinthian church was not of one mind. They were schismatics, if I can use that term, not charismatics, schismatics. They were divided. They were heretics, so to speak. In this sense, heresy doesn't necessarily mean false doctrine. It means divisiveness. And so they were factionalized. They were in these big, huge cliques, if I can use that term. One was of Apollos. One was of Peter. One was of Christ. And Paul, of course, addressed that issue head on. There is just one church under Christ and that's that. There cannot be these factions because factions, clickiness, and so on is of the flesh and another brazen mark of immaturity. So to be of one mind means you have said goodbye to clickiness, factions, divisiveness, and you're following the one Lord in the one faith and the one baptism. So be of one mind. Let's all think the same thoughts because friends, we are on the same team and we're going to win, but we do need to be united first before we can win. So be of one mind. Live in peace, he goes on to say. Now to live in peace as opposed to conflict, anxiety, turmoil comes like this. God is the God of peace. Jesus Christ Son of God, Savior and Lord, is also known as the Prince of Peace. Therefore, in order to live in peace, we need God and we need Christ. The Word of God, especially the Gospel, brings peace because it reconciles us, sinful humanity, to a holy, righteous, wonderful God. When you're reconciled to God and when you're prepared to do things completely on God's terms, timing, 
and territory. Forget the self-will. Forget trying to cut your own special deal or to write your own theological ticket. That's what the rebels did in the Tower of Babel. They didn't want God telling them what to do, or at least they wanted some say in the matter. They felt that running the universe required a consensus rather than submission to the lordship of the Almighty. So they decided to build a city and a tower that would reach the heavens. And of course, they utterly failed. And not only did they have confusion and their tongues were confounded, but they also lacked in peace. Here, we're now given a promise, or first of all, the command followed by the promise to live in peace. To live in peace, ultimately, friend, is to make a decision to follow and obey God. Jesus Christ tells us so powerfully in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's really the crux of it. We make a decision not to be troubled or afraid, and Jesus will download to us all the peace we can handle. Even if we're living in a time of trouble, we ourselves will not be troubled. We will be at peace because the God of peace will be with us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We also know that apart from making a decision to receive the peace of God, that a life of prayer will give you the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, worry about nothing, pray about everything, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this is a great promise. Farewell, be perfect, good comfort, one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Never forget, God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. Then it goes on to say, greet one another with a holy kiss. This often represents a sign of friendship, peace, brotherly love, and affection. Now, some places, some churches, have what we could call a kissing culture. And this is rarely abused, especially if it's done in the church and it's done in public. Somehow, being done in church in public gives that needful accountability to prevent the abuse, the the checks and balances that are so necessary. Now, the interesting thing, this command is given five times in the New Testament. In Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Peter. Paul calls it a holy kiss. Peter calls it a kiss of charity. The friendship kiss was a common occurrence in the Old Testament and really the New Testament and probably today. Friend, look, all this is optional. If you want a hearty handshake, that's really fine. But just remember, if you came from a background of, let's say, a cold, unaffectionate family, it is actually possible as a believer to warm up and be open for the hugs and the kisses that come in Christian fellowship. The Holy Spirit can change it all. I still remember one woman says, I grew up in a cold, callous family, but after the Holy Spirit touched me, I felt like kissing everyone in the church. Well, of course, we don't want to go overboard, but I hope you get the message here. The Holy Spirit distributes God's love in our heart. All the saints greet you. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians 13. These saints are in Macedonia. In the early church, all believers were called saints, simply because all believers have been set apart from the world for God's holy purposes. That's why we call them saints. Then there's the triune benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
So here is a clear reference to the triune God. One God eternally coexisted in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as demonstrated at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, as well as in Matthew 28, verse 19, the baptismal formula, in the name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Here we learn of the grace of the Lord Jesus. He had grace, and he freely gives grace to all the saints. He's full of grace and truth. The love of God speaks of the Heavenly Father, whose very nature is love, and the communion of the Holy Spirit comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, caring, sharing. The reason we can have fellowship with other believers, despite diversity of background, is because the Holy Spirit leads the way. May this triune formula be with all of us. Amen. Friends, our lesson here is the final greeting and our lesson for life. As God's word, 2 Corinthians ends where it begins with a blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to have one more program in this series. It's going to be a summary of the entire book. Look forward to your company. But remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education. Thank you for liking our page. And also, you can go to our homepage to sign up for the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter. It's not a newsletter. It's a teaching letter with articles on the Bible, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for this beautiful closing of 2 Corinthians, this warm-hearted, godly, loving benediction. I ask God, we will live in your grace, your love, and your fellowship through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.